Hey, this is Caleb Cole, pastor of Project Church in Sacramento. And man, I am so excited for you to hear this word. I believe God is going to encourage you, strengthen you, and challenge you through it. So get ready to receive from God today. What's up, everybody? How's everybody doing? Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? I am so hopeful um, that we are in this series because we're in this series. We have an indomitable future. How many people have still not understood what the word indomitable means? How many people can still not say it like I just did right there? Is what I said. (laughs) And so let me just redefine indomitable for you. Ooh, I did it good there. Indomitable for you. It really rolls off the tongue the more you say it. But it, it means this, impossible to subdue or defeat. Impossible to subdue or defeat. And we're asking everybody to be all in so that we can win, so that God's church will win. Here's the thing, we've already gotten the victory, so we just need to step into partnership and an alignment with who he is so that we can step into the future that he has for us. And he has a great future for us. He has a victorious future for us. And so if anybody knows Caleb, me, or my family, or my children, you might understand us to be um, a little competitive, right? Um, The first fight Caleb and I ever had as a married couple on our honeymoon was over a game of ping pong. Um, Yeah, in our honeymoon, on our honeymoon. And um, it was an ugly, it was kind of ugly. But um, we're really competitive. I'm just kidding. You're like losing faith in me really quickly. Don't lose faith in me. Um, I'm just, competitive is our nature, is the 11th um, hidden, the 11th hidden uh, blueprint of Project Church, okay? So if you want to really get the team going, just put a competition in front of them, put a competition in front of me or Caleb. I think that I'm winning um, right now in our record at ping pong at the new office, right? I think I'm winning. I beat him twice in a row one day, so that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) But I just want you to know that may have been handed down to my children. Um, this, This last weekend on Saturday, Kanan had a basketball game, and I found myself a little more into it than I needed to be. Because he's in second grade, and they let them double dribble, you know. And so, um, but I was really proud of him. He may have had 12 points and five assists. I'm proud of him. But, wow, I'm just, I'm just going to keep going there. I also got really excited about Kai's game. Um, I think the total, like, score was, like, 6-2, to two, um, and I was really excited. Because I want my kids to be winners, I'm not going to lie. You're still losing faith in me. Don't lose faith in me. Because I've taught them something else. And if you were to ask any of them, um, actually Kanan or Kai, this morning, they would define for you what a winner is. A winner isn't just what you would think. Somebody who has more points than their opponent, right? Someone who is scoring the most points. I believe, and this is what I've tried to ingrain in my kids, and I think I've preached it before, is that A cold kid winner is trying your best. Somebody say trying your best. best. Never giving up and having a good attitude. I mean, those are words to live by, people. Try your best, never give up, and have a good attitude. Because here's the thing that I want my kids to understand is that they're not always going to win in the natural They're not always going to win and say, I have more points than the other team. They're not always going to win. And so what do I want them to be when they, what kind of character do I want them to have even when the scoreboard 
says that they are losing. I want them to have a good attitude, to never give up, and to try their best no matter what. And, I, and at that point, I'm going to tell them, that makes you a winner. That makes you a winner. And I want you to hear this today, and this is a prophetic word for you today, that you are feeling like you're in a losing battle. But you got to try your best. you got to never give up. And you got to have a good attitude. I believe that's going to give us an indomitable future. And that's going to help us align with what God wants us to do. Because the great thing about this is that our scoreboard is different than that of the world's. We're not here to win in, in, in a way, in a natural sense. We're here to point people not to our own victories, but to the victory of God. And some of us have a lot of points lost because of the decisions and choices that we've made in our lifetime. But thank God that we serve a God who says that you're a winner when you align with me, when you receive the grace that I have for you that makes you a winner no matter how bad you were losing. So some of you have been walking this life thinking, man, I'm just a loser. Man, I'm just insignificant. But God's telling you today that I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have good plans for you, not evil ones. And I have a plan that's going to give you a future and is going to give you a hope. So there's a question this morning that I want to ask to you. How do we become indomitable in losing circumstances? When life is throwing us lemons and we are unable to have the energy to make lemonade, what do we do when we're losing the fight? Jeremiah 29, 11, I believe is the verse that we can look to to give us hope. It says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Unfortunately, I believe that this verse has uh, been misconstrued um, historically. I mean, how many people have this somewhere posted in your home? Okay, girls, if it's not posted in your home, it's probably on your, you know, your Facebook wall. If it's on your Facebook wall, it may have been posted um, in, in, on Instagram or it's just this beautifully, you know, curated graphic to really let people know that I know the plans of God are there to prosper me. And unfortunately, I think that we've had a limited understanding of this text and it's just that God's going to prosper us. We've heard the word, not, not in what the translation I read, welfare and not evil, plans for, to prosper us, not to harm us. We've, we've actually thought of this word as prosper, um, and we've, we've gotten really probably too excited about that word. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now that there are some churches that build their theology around this idea of prosperity. And I don't want to go there um, and... I don't want to go totally down that rabbit trail because that's what it is. It's a rabbit trail. God does want to prosper us, but the context of this verse is really going to help us understand the real meaning of this verse. Our limited understanding of this verse would say that we put our hope in his provision so we can get something from God. I want you to, I want you to really understand the statement. We put our hope in his provision so we can get something from God. And I'm afraid if we just look at this word prosper, we kind of see God as a genie. And I've preached about this recently. Well, God, you know, it's hard time right now. It's, it's, it's been rough, but he's going to prosper me. That's what he promises, right? He's going to get me out of this and everything is going to be good. And then we just say his, and then we trust God for just his provision so that we can get something from him. And this is a self-gratifying message that gives us 
an appetite, I think, for self-glorification. So we've got to be careful with this word prosper, this, this, this word welfare. I believe that the fuller understanding of this text is that in undesirable circumstances, we put our hope in him alone. Somebody say alone. So we can give glory to God. Do you see the difference between that? One verse is saying, okay, God's going to provide. But then God's saying, no, I want you to know me and trust me alone. Not what I can do for you, but for who I am. And then the other side says that, well, you're going to get me some things. I'm going to ask you if some things, you're going to provide it for me because I know that when I ask things, you're going to give them to me and then you're going to prosper me and then I get something from God. No, the goal of this world, the goal of the hope that we live in is that we might give him all the glory. So we might give him glory, not ourselves glory. And I believe in this age of self-gratification, self-care, and self-self-self. We've lost the idea and we've lost the true meaning of what we put our hope in. It's not about what we can get. It's about what we can give and who we can glorify. So this is a self-giving message that should inspire us to reach this world for his glory and his glory alone. So how do you live an inspired life? Life. How do you live inspired so you can reach this world? Number one, I think that we need to investigate the context again of Jeremiah 29 11. So if you're just joining us, this is the fourth week of our Indomitable series, and we've been, we've been um, studying the scriptures of Jeremiah. And you have to understand that right now, Judah, Israel, the promised people, have been sent into exile. They've been sent into exile because they had done a lot of things wrong. And they did not deserve to be in their promised land because they were um, sacrificing children. They kind of abandoned the law. They have, were defiling um, the temple. They were worshiping different idols. And what happens is at this point, God says, I'm going to send you into exile. I'm going to send you into Babylon. But then there were these false prophets that were coming around them. And they were saying, hey, It'll be, it'll be in no time that God performs a miracle and he's going to take us out of Babylon. But then Jeremiah the prophet tells us that, no, actually, you're going to be here for 70 years. You're going to be here for 70 years. You came here for a word of encouragement, didn't you? You're going to be in exile for 70 years. And I'm afraid that if we continue to understand this verse for the way we want to understand it, for what we can get from God for our own lives and what we can get from God alone and not to bring him glory, I'm afraid that we're going to start listening to false prophets who start tickling our ears and helping us feel better about where we want to be and even though it's outside of God's timing. So we need to get to a point where we trust God for who he is alone and not for what he can get us. Otherwise, we're going to start running around this rabbit trail of just seeking the things of this earth that make us feel good and then make us feel more accomplished and then make us feel like we're more prosperous in the, in the world's eyes when God is saying that it's actually um, a beautiful thing to be in trials and tribula tribulations. And when we suffer for things in Christ, we're actually being more like Christ. He walked a, a life of suffering. This is such an encouraging word. How many people are encouraged this, to this morning? 
But I do want to encourage you because I've heard some Christians who have said, oh, you do not know the real meaning. You have to understand the context and you need to understand that the word is, this is what it really means. But I'm not here to bring condemnation. If you didn't have the full revelation of this verse, that's okay. That's what we're here to learn, okay? So when you, when, you, when you get new revelation, don't allow it to make you haughty in spirit and be like, I know the real revelation of the word of God. And then we write posts about it and we get mad at all the Christians who don't believe the way we believe. It's okay if they don't believe the way that you, that you believe. You just pray that they get that full revelation eventually. Okay, so we're going to be loving still, church. I believe that we're going to receive a new and fresh word from him, but we're going to be loving to our brothers and sisters in Christ who may not believe this in the same way that we do. Okay, it's fine. Let them believe that God's going to prosper them. He eventually will, and he wants to. But I want you here in this day and age, and as Project Church, to understand that trials will come. So what are you going to put your hope in? What are you going to trust in? Are you going to trust in what God can give you or what you can give God for his glory? So investigate the context. Don't let it lead you to condemning others. Let it leave you to a greater hope inside of you. That's what we should have when we receive full revelation of his scriptures. So number one, if we're going to live inspired to reach this world, we have to understand the context and investigate the context of the scriptures that he's left us because they are his words. They're his words to us, and he wants to reveal himself to us. If we just rely off of our own inspiration, our, our own understanding of the word of God, we're going to be left empty. And we're going to be left doing things just for ourselves, but we've got to be inspired to reach a world that is lost. So number one, investigate the context of Jeremiah 29, 11. And number two, inquire of God's plans. I love that it says, for I know the plans I have for you. And you're like, okay, great. You know the plans that you have for me. Where does that leave me? We've got to pray for revelation of his plans. And there are some things that we can understand right off the bat. Just from his word and his word that's already been given to us, number one, that God's plans are incomprehensible. You're like, well, if they're incomprehensible, then what's the point of praying? Because God wants to reveal himself to us. He's not trying to hide himself from us, but he's, he understands that we don't have the capacity as humans to understand everything about him. He's that big, he's that mighty, he's that glorious, he's that amazing, and he, he has infinite wisdom. We can't understand everything about his plans, but we can pray that he would give us glimpses. I mean, God's promised us a long time ago that we were going to be a permanent um, church. A, we, were gonna, we, had, we had land that we needed to inhabit here in Sacramento. Did we know that it was going to be in old Sacramento seven years ago? No. Did we know that all of you would come? No. Did we know all the pastors on staff would be the pastors that are on staff now? No. But God gave us a glimpse. He got a glimpse. We got a glimpse of his promises, and we prayed into it. We did our due diligence. We worked hard, and guess what? God said, you're aligning your plans to my plans, and as you pray into them, I'm going to unfold the revelations. I'm going to unfold the plans for you, so we have got to pray for understanding. Even though his plans are incomprehensible, he wants to give us glimpses, and we need to hold to the verse Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. His ways are higher than our ways. When we can just link in with him, partner with 
him and allow him to magnify himself over our own desires, then things will change, promises will unfold, and we will have peace in that. God's plans are incomprehensible. Number two, God's plans are inclusive. Inclusive. You know, I, I think about God's plans, and I'm just like, well, was, I know the plans I have for you. Was he just talking to Israelites? Well, we read in 2 Corinthians that everything under God are a yes and amen in him, in Jesus. So if all those who are in Jesus, anything that God promised the Israelites and his people in the Old Testament, if we follow Jesus, then it's a yes and amen. Those promises are for us too. That's an encouragement for you this morning. So I want to say that, yes, God's plans are inclusive. It's not just for the Jews anymore. It's not just for Judah. It's not just for the Israelites. It's for all the Gentiles. It's for every single one of us. And so what it was so, so cool, I love this. I would love to preach on inclusivity all the time because, I mean, my husband and I, we're a mixed couple, you know. I'm brown, he's white. And it's like, we, we, love, we love inclusivity. It's just like this buzzword that everybody talks about, right? It, it, an inclusive church is black, white, brown, yellow, red, red hair, blonde hair, black hair. You know, it's like everybody. It's like inclusive. Oh, and it's men and women, not just the brotherhood, the sisterhood too, right? So it's, <laughs> um, that was a joke. Okay, so it's like we, we talk about all these things about being inclusive. But sometimes I think, man, it's so easy. I'll be honest. For the hair, yeah. It's so easy for us to be friends with strangers. How many people believe it's sometimes easier to be nice to strangers? And, and, and the people that we don't really know that well. And so if you're different from me, that's cool. I don't know you that well, and you're not, like, really mixing into my life. So I can totally include you, kind of, right? And so inclusivity is a, is a fun, funny thing. But I think that inclusivity goes beyond economic differences. It goes beyond um, uh, racist, racial differences. I think that sometimes the hardest people to love and include in our plans are the people that we're actually really close to. It's the people who believe the same thing that you believed, and you had friendship based on similarities, and then friendship and relationship were later broken. I believe that it's actually harder to include those people than it is to be stranger to include strangers of other economic and racial differences. And so as you're heading into Thanksgiving, I want you to be encouraged that God's plans are inclusive. It includes the people that have hurt us and it includes the people who have betrayed us. It includes everyone. Everyone. And so I think that as we pray over God's plans and as we inquire of God's plans, that we pray for reconciliation. Not just in the big buzz words and the big buzz issues of this day. It's some of the people that are closest to us that are in our family. And you guys, I want to tell you how amazing. We're, um, Caleb and I were in Boston last week, and we were ministering at a women's conference, a young adult retreat, and um, uh, a church service and so we were just had a lot happening but we got a moment to be with our old church family and visit a, a, a bunch of them and so there was one lady who came and I woke up that morning I was just like I can't wait to talk to Donna I can't wait to talk to Donna like I haven't seen her in ages we haven't talked to one another we haven't texted one another but God just put on my heart that I can't wait to talk to Donna so I get there 
and I see Donna across the way, and I text her, like she's on the other side of the sanctuary. Yes, I was texting during church. I know you all do it. Um, so I go, I go, Donna, I can't wait to see you. Um, make sure you don't leave without saying hi. And so she never saw the text, but then she came up to me after service anyway, and she's like, Chrissy, I'm so glad to see you. And she's just, and all of a sudden, I was like so happy and filled with so much joy. And I was like, yeah, I can't wait to see you. Did you get my text? Blah, blah, She's like, no, I didn't get your text. And actually, I just came here to ask you, were you ever offended by me? And I go, what? <laughs> like, I was like so excited. I woke up thinking about you. I woke up and I, I, I couldn't wait to see you. And for her, it was a moment of reconciliation because she thought all these years, that I had been offended by her over like the funniest thing. And so she just said, I just, and she apologized for different things that she thought and she just apologized that for a lot of things that she probably, she actually didn't need to apologize for. So we're just crying and we're just having this divine moment, I believe, because God put her on my heart before I even saw her. And God was so gracious because I believe that his plan was for reconciliation. So I believe that there's people in this room who haven't reconciled to family members, friends, coworkers, people that you haven't seen for years. And God's saying, my plan of inclusion is reconciliation. Reconciliation is the road to an inclusive church. So I believe, I, and I hope that just, that just encourages somebody today. Some of the offenses that we have, the other person or the other party may have zero clue. But God wants you to be at peace in your heart. And I believe that God gave that peace to Donna. And now we're like texting each other all the time, taking pictures and keeping up with each other. And that's what God wants. And I, okay, I'm not going to go there and just say that everybody you need to be like BFFs with, okay? Some people you just need to pray for reconciliation in their hearts. They may not receive it from you, but God's going to surround them with his body, with his people to bring about reconciliation. And in his timing, in his perfect timing, he'll bring you together. But that's God's plan plans for us. His plans are to prosper all of us. He cannot be, we cannot declare the full hope of God if the church and the body of Christ is so fractured. Why would we have hope in a fractured body? God wants to bring reconciliation to his people. So God's plans are inclusive. God's plans are also for you to influence. Jeremiah was telling the people to pray for shalom on the nation where they have been exiled. And Caleb talked about this a few weeks ago. Even though they were sent into exile, God had it that they would marry, that they would make a life within this, 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 this city, within this land, and that even in exile, even in exile, that you would go about having a good life, you would multiply, and that you would enjoy peace, and you would pray for peace among you. And I believe that God's plan for us is to pray for favor is to pray for favor. I, I, I'll never forget, we have a friend of ours who helped um, start the organization that we are actually, um, are part of the miracle offering, Project Rescue. The co-founder, his name is David, he found himself about three years ago imprisoned in the nation that he was trying to reach because this nation is extremely opposed to Christianity. And the work that he was doing appeared to be Christian. And so he was 
but he was wrongly accused. He had everything lined up. He had his visas. He had everything correct, um, but he was wrongly accused for some other things, so it found him, he found himself in a prison. But by the grace of God and the people who were praying favor over his life, even while he was imprisoned, he became friends with a group of people who were not of the same faith, and because they, they, they liked his smile, because they liked the presence and the hope that he had, and because he actually, he was in a suit when he got sent to jail, um, prison, because of the way he carried himself, this gang of prisoners felt like it was their job and their duty to protect him from anybody who would try to harm him. Let that be an encouragement again to you that even when you are in prison, even when you're in exile, God will send the right people to protect you and to be your refuge because when we pray for the peace of God, when we pray for the favor of God, his protection comes upon his people. Pray for favor. Pray that God would make you an influence, a positive influence. I'm telling you right now, I don't know how many lives were changed because of David's time in imprisonment. I know that there were seeds planted that compelled them to protect this man of God. And I believe that we are going to hear of the fruit of that in heaven. So we got to pray that even when you feel like you're in exile, even when you feel like you're in um, a workplace that is like exile, God is asking you to be a part of that workplace and to change the atmosphere, plant seeds of love and plant seeds of mercy and grace so that people might come to know a loving Savior. So pray for the favor of God. Inquire of God's plans. His plans are incomprehensible. His plans are inclusive. His plans are for you to influence a nation. Number three, how do we live and inspire to reach the world? We start inverting our perspective. Inverting our perspective. I really think that the inversion of our perspective is just receiving the grace of God. Because really... the really what we see God doing here is that he's brought people into exile because that's what they deserved. But even though they deserved that, it was his plan for them to go there because he works all things together for the good of those who love them. So even in exile, God allowed these people to have influence for his name. God, that is a good God that we, would, that we would believe that he would still use us even though we don't deserve to be used by him. We are imperfect. We are broken. We are fractured. But God says that I want to use you and we need to start changing our perspective of this is what I deserve to like, no, this is the grace that I'm going to receive so that I can be influential for the kingdom. So we, can, we need to start ex- changing our expectations. Inverting our perspective is changing our expectations. You know, I believe that um, what Matthew Henry says in a, in a commentary on Jeremiah is this. God will give them not the expectations of their fears or the expectations of their fancies, their dreams, but the expectations of their faith. Not the expectations of our fears, not the expectations of our fancies, but the expectations of our faith. When we are leaning on the expectations of our fears, then we don't really understand the grace of God. When we are um, living on the expectations of our fancies and our greatest dreams, then we're leaning on the grace that we think that we deserve. 
But when we are leaning on the expectations of faith, then we are trusting in God and God alone. We are trusting in God, and that's what he's wanting us to do. He works all things together for the good of those who love him according to his purpose. You know, when we were in our community group last Wednesday and we were talking about Pastor Lauren's message, it was, really, um, it was a really great concept that came up that, um, that God isn't God, a God of just punishment. He's a God of consequences. A just God gives us consequences, and some of us have too often um, aligned with this thought that and have feared that God is just a punisher. I do want you to remember that God is just because God did bring his people into exile, right? But again, he works all things together for the good of those who love him. But I want you to understand that his intentions for us is always to restore us, is always to give us a hope, is always to give us a future. Because the grace of God says that you are not down and out. You don't deserve it. You are sinful and you are yucky and you do make a lot of bad choices. That yucky, that's the parent of a toddler. So, And you are all these things, but when you receive my grace, then you start to recognize that there are consequences but I can still live a good life and an impactful life and an influential life because I'm aligned with who God is. And then we can trust in him. God is so good that even in our exile, even in our mess, that he still decides to use us. Some people don't believe in miracles anymore because they're not seeing people's arms lengthen. They're not seeing broken bones like fixed right away. But I'm telling you right now, we've seen it in our church. Come down here and pray and believe that it'll happen. We've seen those things happen. But if we're not talking about it in the media all the time, but some people are saying, gosh, there's no miracles anymore. God is not a God of miracles anymore. I want you to understand that the real miracle is that God will use an imperfect person like you to bring about the grace that you have received in your life to another person's life. That is a miracle. Every single one of you are a walking miracle because you are imperfect and you do not deserve the grace of God, but you said, I receive it despite my mentality, despite my perspective that says, I know I deserve the bad things. I say, I receive you. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. And finally, how do we inspire to how do we live inspired so that we can reach the world? Number four, we intend to share the hope of Jesus. We intend to share the hope of Jesus. You know, Christmas is my favorite. If you did not know, my real name is Mary Chris because my mom so lovingly named me Mary Chris. She's Maria Victoria, so she wanted me to be Maria Christina. And then I was born 10 days before Christmas. Mark your calendars, December 15th. My birthday is December 15th. Don't forget. Just kidding, kind of. Babe, you got to remember that. Um, 10 days before Christmas, so she named me Marie Chris. And so Americans would say, Merry Christmas, Chrissy. You know, <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Chris is my name. I'm really proud of it. So... I love Christmas, and I love decorating, and I had Caleb bring out the tubs of decorations. Um, Babe, was it November 1st? I believe it was November 1st. The kids were off school, and we brought those Christmas decorations out. All y'all Thanksgiving lovers and that turkey, Christmas is where it's at. Okay. (laughs) But here's the thing. I opened up the boxes, and I go... These are all old decorations. Wah, wah. 
And I was like, babe, I want new decorations. I want fresh decorations. And he's just like, girl, we don't got that money. Act your wage, girl. And so I'm like, you're right. I don't have the funds to buy that new flocked Christmas tree. And this is the same Christmas tree that's been decorated this way in the last three years. It's not new enough. How many people? Come on, ladies. I feel you. I know. Like, I want new decorations. Mid-century modern. I want everything new. All new. Everything. Okay, I'm going (laughs) to. I clearly have issues. (laughs) But you know what was happening? I was like, we need to get this house decorated. The kids need to be filled with the Christmas spirit. We've been watching Polar Express since September, y'all. I'm not kidding. Like once a month, okay? I had to like, I love Christmas. But I realized that I wasn't putting up the decorations because I thought that they were so insignificant. And let me tell you right now, the purpose of my household in this season is for it to be decorated like Christmas. But the greatest, the greatest enemy to us living out our purpose and us being inspired to bring the hope of Jesus to this world is thinking that we are insignificant. That's the greatest enemy to living out God's purpose. And our purpose is to share the love and hope of Christ. Our purpose is to tell people that God has a plan for you, not to to, to prosper you and not to harm you. It's it's for welfare, not for evil. It's for you to have a future and to have a hope. But we say, I don't know if I'm significant enough. I've done this, I've done that. I mean, we'll let the pastor tell everybody about Jesus. We'll let that person who raises both hands during worship to tell people about Jesus. We'll let that person who gives a big tithe, they'll tell them about Jesus. Or it's like, I give my tithe, so I'm not going to tell anybody about Jesus. No, it is God's plan for you to realize the significance that you have because of what he has done. Everything that we are, Everything that we are as individuals, as Christ followers, it's all meant to point people back to Jesus. It's all meant to point people back to Jesus. So I want you to understand that there's some people in this room who are just like, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not on a platform. I'm I'm not leading a ministry. And I haven't gone to Africa to help the kids. I haven't given enough. I haven't done all these things. And God is saying, that's okay. Just like just like the Israelites were in exile and he, was, he, and he said that just to go about your life, just go make a family, just, just multiply and just do life and do that daily grind. I want you to understand in even the daily grind of your life, you are significant enough to share the hope of Jesus. Do not let the lie of I'm just this, I'm just a teacher, I'm just a pastor, I'm just a girl, I'm just this. Don't let that lie keep you from understanding that God has made you so significant for his kingdom that he wants to use you when you're at home with the kids all day, every day. And he wants you to know that those kids are gonna be mighty warriors for my name one day. Don't, 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 just, don't just think, oh, I'm just a teacher. I'm not really allowed to say much. No, God's gonna show some students that you are loving, that you have a smile on your face, that you bring joy to a room, that you bring peace to a room. And that's how I'm gonna use you. You guys are gonna bring shalom and you're gonna let people know that you can belong to me. You can be included in things because I am, I, I am significant in him. He makes me significant. And I want you to understand that I want to reveal that God wants to reveal his purposes in and through you. 
that is the God that we serve. We, he, he, if you're gonna live an inspired life to reach this world for God, if you wanna be inspired to reach the world, then you've got to understand that God intends for you to share his love with so many. The heart of this verse is not that we would escape our lot in life or that we would escape this life of insignificance, but that we would understand that we are meant to thrive in some negative circumstances. We are meant to thrive in this world that we've been exiled to. We are meant to, to live significant lives so that people might understand that they have a future and they have a hope in Jesus Christ. You believe that today? And last thing, last thing. We're not placing our hope in what God can give us and what we can get from God. We're placing our hope in Him and Him alone. We've got to start seeing who God is for who He is. And number one, yes, yes, he, He's about giving us consequences and He's a just God and there are consequences to our sins, but that's just how life is. He's not saying, I'm gonna punish you and boom, boom, boom and like, push you down there. Some people think that God is just punishing us. Well, if we see God as only a punisher, then we do feel insignificant. We do see ourselves insignificant, but a loving God who subscribes consequences and still works things together for our good in the middle of our consequences is a good God who has a good future for us, a good hope for us. He is a good God. He is a good God. Let's bow our heads in this place. And we're just gonna thank him for who he is and what he's done in this place in our hearts through his word. But if you're in this room and you're thinking, man, I wanna share that love, I wanna share that hope, but I think I need to receive that for my life first. I think I need to invert my perspective on who he is, that he actually is a loving God that he does have good plans for me. I need to stop questioning his intentions for me, that they're bad, but I need to start understanding that he is good. And the only way that we can understand that he is a good God is when we start to have relationship with him. And when we have relationship with him, all that means is that we say, God, I invite you into my life. I invite you into my thoughts. I invite you to, to wipe my sinful slate clear. <laughs> I, I, I just ask you to, to come into my life so that I might know you and know your plans for me. So if that's you in this place and you want to have a relationship with Jesus for the first time or you want to recommit yourself to him in this room, I'm going to count to three. And I'm counting to three just so you can prepare your hearts and no one's looking around. I'm looking around just because I want to pray for you. But if this is you in this place and you want to have a relationship with Jesus, you want to start walking and aligning with the hope and the future that he has for you, if that's you in this place, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three, raise your hand. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see that hand. Anyone else? All right. Church, would you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, thank you for coming into my life. I accept you. I believe that you love me, that you died and rose again so that I may have life. I confess my need of you, that I have sins that I've fallen short, but I ask for your strength to help me to live for you all the days of my life. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness in your precious name. Amen.
Amen. Come on, church. Some people just accepted Jesus. Can we give him praise? Why don't you stand in this place? We're going to praise God for the work that he's doing and is going to continue to do in us right now and in our future. There's some prayer partners who are going to make their way down here. If you've been looking and waiting for a miracle, come down here and pray. And this word encouraged you today. If you haven't heard, we recently purchased a building in Old Sacramento. This is going to be the permanent home of Project Church. We are here to stay in Sacramento. But I wanted to ask you if you would consider giving, uh, donating to help make this vision come to fruition. You can go to www.projectchurch.com backslash believe to see more about the building and to donate. God bless you and let's see what God can do through us.